Broadcasting from the heart of downtown Hollywood. This is SoFloRadio.com. I'm preaching like I'm going to war this morning. I'm a genuine Holy Ghost, Jesus-filled preaching machine here this morning. I tell you, I'm a genuine Holy Ghost, Jesus-filled preaching machine here this morning. Now, if God be for us, who can be against us? He's God here in this radio station. He's God in Georgia. He's God in Tennessee. He's God in the pulpit. He's God at the front door. He's God in the 7-Eleven. And yea, though I walk, I say yea, though I walk, I say yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And why, why, why do I say this? Oh, why, why? Because I got Holy Ghost power here today. We're going to have a Holy Ghost explosion. We're going to shock, shock at the devil here today. And the Holy Ghost is our power line to heaven. I'm going to tell you right now, in days of old, Moses went up into the mountain. When he got up in the mountain, high, high, high on the mountain, the Lord God above gave him ten commandments. He didn't give him 11 or 12 or 13 or 14. He gave him ten commandments. And the eleventh commandment, thou shalt not shout, does not exist. And now for my next number, I'd like to return to the classics. Welcome to the Groove of Dot, everybody. I am Tony C. Along with the most reverend Gramps Master Flash, the man who ensures a That's right. strict adherence to the tenets of Groove. Los Georges. That's irreverent to you. <laughs> Blessings to all in this day after Easter. Of course, every Groove Dot centers around an attitude of gratitude. Mucho mahalo to everybody tuning in here in America and around the world, y'all. Hope everybody's having a great day out there. Hope everybody had a uh, good Easter. Abuelo de Stello. Como want to thank you for uh, killing Jesus so that we can uh, celebrate the... I'm uh, here you for know, you. Have I a wonderful day for... off. You're always thinking. You know, you always know. giving. I am and taking. Thank you. So, uh, you know, you know because give, without that, without uh, you know, and uh, the Z's and Pesach uh, right back at you. Happy Purim belated Purim. Absolutely. Purim and, uh, well, you know. Show far, show good. <laughs> so lots of pictures of... Uh, Friends of mine, they post on Facebook, you know, their various Easter things, the Easter Parade in New York, stuff like that. They all right. look like they were in very fine spirits, so that is always a good thing. I, now, honestly, I didn't even realize it was Easter yesterday. I went out Saturday night, a uh, couple of friends. I went out with my friend Tom and his friend Stan, and we hit a couple of dive bars at JNS. The Desert Fox, my favorite shithole dive bar, gone. What a bummer. So we had to go to another place that was a dive bar, but it just wasn't divey enough. There, yeah, we got to dive. I didn't realize it was Easter until I, you know, got up and went to Publix and it was closed. I was like, you know, thank God for for Dunkin' Donuts. And so, lots of stuff to get to today. Mostly, it's about Trump. Honestly, it's about Trump. I mean, when I I called you and I I thought I was, you know, I always call you when I think I've got you know some great new ideas. Like, hey, he's like Biff from uh, Back to the Future. And like, nah, there's already a meme about that. Immediately, I felt like Mayuchi, you know, <laughs> the telephone right. guy. So of course, yeah, I that took, was on purpose. Apparently, yeah, I right. I, I took that basically as like a, a glove across the face. I shall, I must stand up for my honor. So I uh, spent some time putting together a series of analogies to try and explain the rise of Trump. And I, the key here is, I feel confident that most of them 
okay, have not been done by anybody else. And a few of them, I'm pretty sure, are really freaking spot on. Of course, all that's going to be surrounded by two hours, the greatest, most diverse groove anywhere on the air. Plus, I've got uh, Dennis Miller preaching against preaching. Uh, we've got more Holy Ghost power from the Apostle Robert Duvall. And uh, Sheriff J.W. Pepper, He's, he tries but fails to slow down the drive groove. That ain't going to work, baby. You know what? Just past 2 o'clock and the only Hollywood that matters anymore. Background right now. Yo, check it out. KC and the Sunshine Band. I get lifted. Okay? Of course, I don't have one version of this song. Okay? I have five. I have the original. I have this particular remix, which is the, uh, let me see, which one is this? This is the J, Doctor, this is the DJS Bootleg Bonus Beat Extended Remix. Then I've got another remix. Then I've got a George McRae version and a version by a band called Orgone. I mean, why have one version of a great song when you have five versions of a great song? Right. That, that's my motto. So, just past 2 o'clock in the only Hollywood that matters anymore. Hollywood. Hollywood, Florida, of course. Just past 8 o'clock on the Big Island. Just past 7 o'clock in the Elves of Western Europe. Live in St. Anne and Lisbon. Shout out to the uh, European crew. Padre, you about ready to take communion? Locked and loaded. Hallelujah. I'd like everybody to take their seats and open up their prayer books to page number one. We kick it off with the Smashing Pumpkins on the Groovathon on SoFloRadio.com. <laughs>
love. Word, I pull the trigger long. Grip my teeth, spray to every nigga's gone. Got my block sewn on my dope spot. Last thing I sweat, so suck a punk cop. Move like a king when I roll hop. You try to flex, bang, another bang. nigga drop. You gotta deal with this, cause in the way out. Why? Cash money ain't never gonna play out. I got nothing to lose, much to gain. In my brain, I got a capitalist migraine. I gotta get paid tonight. You motherfucking right, stick in my grip. Check my bitch, keep my game tight. So many hoes on my jock, think I'm a movie star. 19, I got a $50,000 car. Go to school, I ain't going for it. Kiss my ass, bust the cap on the Moet. Cause I don't wanna hear that crap. I'd rather be a new jack hustler. Yo, man, you know what I'm saying? You got it going on, my man. I like how it's going down. You got the flat floor. The girls, the jewels. Look at that wings right there. I know it's real. It's got to be real. Man, you're the flyest nigga I've seen in my life. Yo, man, I just want to roll with you, man. How can I be damned? What's up? You say you want to be down east. Back. A motherfucker get beat down out my face. Fool, I'm the illest. Bulletproof. I die harder than Bruce Willis. Got my crew in effect. I bought them new jags. So much cash. On the skills of a triple beam. You don't come here much, and you better not wrong move. Bang! Ambulance cut. I gotta get more money than you got. So what if some motherfucker gets shot? That's how the game is played. Another brother slain the wound is deep. But they giving us a band aid. My education's low, but I got long going rings like a pit bull. My heart pumps nitro. Sleep on silk, lie like a politician. My ooze is my best friend, cold as a mortician. Lock me up in genocidal catastrophe. There'll be another one after me, a hustle.
You know, if the only person who had anything to do with religion was God, there would be no problem. I am convinced that religion would be great if man were not so hands-on with it. It's like plumbing. As soon as you start messing around with it, you've got a turd scampering across the linoleum. No. Now, I don't want to get off on a rant here, but if religion is the opiate of the masses, then religious zealots are the crack addicts, okay? The great struggle in the world right now is not between Islam and the West or between wealthy nations and poor ones. It's between religious tolerance and religious fanaticism. It's between the notion of God as a warm, loving father figure, like Bing Crosby and the Bells of St. Mary's, and an angry, vengeful, frightening one, like Bing Crosby in real life. <laughs> Part of the problem is that the doctrine of many religions requires believers to constantly recruit new members. Hey, I, I can't even go to the Home Depot anymore without some holy roller accosting me with his prayer pamphlets and spiritual pie charts in hopes of saving my soul. Listen, Marjo, let me save you some time. I'm in show business. My soul took the red eye out of here years ago. Dangerous though they are, thankfully, most religious zealots are easy to spot. It's the twitchy cabbie with the mono-brow haircut who seems a little too eager to take you to the airport, huh? It's the Christian mummy making s'mores at the book burning. It's the, uh, it's the slack-jawed weekend bow hunter who sees an abortion clinic and flies into a spittle-flecked rage like Bobby Knight getting cut off in traffic. <laughs> Most religious zealots start out simply as people devastated by tragic circumstances and left groping for answers. And that unfortunate point of departure perpetually clouds their judgment. You're a zealot if you can't see the blinding irony inherent in using force to convince other people that your belief about the unknowable is more accurate than their belief about the unknowable. I'm pretty sure that the Donner Party wasn't even that misguided. You know, some religious zealots act like the code of morality they claim to be upholding can be temporarily shelved when it gets in the way of their immediate goals, like these supposed pro-lifers who kill doctors. Hey, we might not all agree when life begins, but we sure as shit all do agree on when it ends, okay? It's not called the Ten Commandments and the 100 footnotes, my friends. Why is it that when applied to religion, the word fundamentalist always takes on a meaning completely opposite of the commonly accepted definition of the word? I mean, how do you get the word fundamental when you're looking at a tattooed potbelly chain smoker whipping a hissing rattlesnake around like Prince's mic cord while screaming in unintelligible tongues like Brad Pitt's character in Snatch with Tourette's Syndrome? You know, nowadays, nowadays the Taliban lead off the who's no longer who of religion zealots. These are the guys who celebrate by firing guns into the air while screaming, God is great. Which, if you think about it, is a pretty fucked up way of showing your appreciation to the beloved entity residing above you in the heavens. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't able to help out with that flood, folks. I was pinned down by crossfire because some asshole's goat broke a fever. <laughs> now, these days, the boss hog of the Christian right is the Reverend Jerry Falwell, a man whose ass is as wide as his mind is narrow. Hey... Jerry, if you get any bigger, Hindus are going to start worshiping you. You know, there's a difference between following Jesus and stalking him. 
There are people on Earth who start cults by claiming to be gods or that they have a direct link to the gods. Before you give up your entire life to follow these people, check out their resumes and see how one summer they went from a clerk at Pep Boys to a deity named Man Mojack after being laid off for shoplifting fur tree air fresheners. Experts warn that a cult transforms from the mere ball, merely oddball to the potentially dangerous when it begins to display such warning signs as a belief in the close proximity of the apocalypse and the desire to trigger that apocalypse through violent and destructive acts. If that's too much to remember, just try my simple tip. The instant someone tells you that God wants you to cut off your balls, you must get out of there. Trust me, I've spoken to God. He does not want you to cut off your balls. The most he would ever possibly ask is that you occasionally lower them into a bowling ball cleaner and buff them to a glossy shine. You know, it's, uh, it's perfectly understandable to discover the roots of your religion and want to share it with everyone you meet. By the same token, please understand the basic tenets of my religion, which specifically prescribe that should you knock on my door, corner me in an elevator, or sit next to me on a flight, yammering on and on and on about your way being the right way, I am morally obligated by the elders of my church to tell you to shut the fuck up. Okay? Can I get an amen? Of course,
song has been sampled too many times. Hold on, wait. Yes, it has. <laughs> that is Baby Huey, Hard Times. Uh, that came out in 1971. He has one album. He only had one album co- that came out, and it um, it was produced, and that song actually was written by Curtis Mayfield, and Curtis Mayfield produced the entire album. The irony, of course, is that the uh, title of the album is uh, The Baby Huey Story, The Living Legend. Uh, unfortunately, Baby Huey was a 300-pound heroin addict, so... About a month or two before the album came out, yep, he died. So much for the living legend part. Yeah, he overdosed in a uh, in a motel room in Chicago. On food or heroin? Heroin. Yeah, <laughs> that was a, a skag-related uh, falling down before that. Todd Rundgren, I saw the light from something, anything. I didn't, you know, I always knew that uh, Todd Rundgren was a, you know, very, very talented multi-instrumentalist. Okay? Yes. That album has, that's a double album. And sides one through three. Todd Rundgren plays every instrument, draw every instrument, and then on side four, every song has a series has a bunch of musicians on it. One of which is uh, John Siegler. That's the whole thing that came up with that. Great stuff though, uh, from you know from something. I bet that cuts down on the interband drama. Yeah, well, it's Todd Rundgren, so you know he didn't really have a lot of interband drama. He was actually come on, Todd, stay on beat, Todd. Okay, Todd. Right, he had to argue with himself. Could you imagine him trying to be Steely Dan? He'd never, he'd never record a thing. He'd be yeah. complaining about where the chair is for like eight hours <laughs> in the studio. For that, Dennis Miller, we were talking about this. 
Dennis, we beg of you, come back from the dark side, <sighs> I, baby. I, I think it's too late. I think I did. He yes. somewhere he went off the rails and and like diverted himself onto the the O'Reilly it, track. It happens to a lot of people when they get like a little bit of money. It just it. You know, I don't. You know, I don't know. He was already. I saw some of his uh, stand-up routines. He was already kind of going that way, which was fine because he still. You know, I understand he got more conservative, and then he just got really conservative. Like one night, yeah, he just turned around one day and said, "Ah, screw it." And now he's got, I guess, a syndicated radio show, or uh, I, I think I don't know what he's got good, for good, that. Good luck to him. Yeah, good luck, Dennis. In any event, if you want to have some fun, though, listen to the rants. They're available now from his shows on HBO. Mm. Great stuff. Absolutely great stuff. That one on religion, I think, you know, hits the bullseye right there for that iced tea, new Jack Hustler. My man over there. So many hoes on my jock to become a movie star. 19? I got a $50,000 car. Kicking it off, Smashing Pumpkins. Siva from Gish in uh, 91. We were talking about them as well. It's another one of these bands. First two or three albums, great stuff. Then they went into the, I don't know, with Mel- the melancholy, the ultimate sadness or whatever. Mm. Yeah, for your fans. You know, and then the predictable happens. Of course, they start overdosing on heroin. The the guy overdosed right above the Ludlow Street bar, right across the street from my friend's uh, my friend Eric's rehearsal studio. So I thought that was uh, I don't know why I thought that was interesting, but it was all right. Let's talk about you know how was your week? How's everything going? Everything great? Well, I already told you the puke story there. The puke story, yes. Adventures. We we always love the puke story. When you have kids, your life is full of adventure. (laughs) You know, Uh, just at at some point in your life, your children stop throwing up on you. I'm not sure exactly when (laughs) that that happens. We haven't quite reached that (laughs) spot yet. Yeah, 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 but it's it's adventure, man. I want to uh, point out how grateful I am for the blessings bestowed upon me by Hashem this week. Managed to download season two of Banachek. Okay. So I'm psyched. I am psyched <laughs> about that. I got season two of Banachek. You're easy to please. I Well, in that particular case, I'd love to get season one as well. Banachek was the best of them all. They had the best plots. They, you know, it was, they, there was creative stuff done well, and George Papard's so good in that shit. I love that stuff. So this is one of these stories that kind of, I just couldn't believe this one. Okay. An 87-year-old, this is uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, an 87-year-old former postman has been proven to have fathered over 1,300 illegitimate children. 1,300. Here's how this happened. There okay. were there's a there were a couple of guys who did not know each other, and they went to this private investigator in Tennessee, and his specialty is finding the birth parents of children that have been adopted. And so two different guys who nothing to do with each other, had both come to him like within the same couple of month period. And mm-hmm. what he discovered was the DNA, they did it, they started doing the DNA, that they both had the same father. And so the investigator was like, wow, that's a, you know, what are the odds? Right. Well, as it turns out, in this case, the odds are pretty fucking good. And what he did is over a 15-year period, he started going through all this stuff and, and it ultimately proved that the man... Later was literally uh, spawned thousands of illegitimate children. And this is what he said. This is the part I like. Contraception wasn't very popular in those days, he said. <laughs> he, he told reporters in his defense, I have nothing to be ashamed of. The 60s were the good old days, and I did a great Johnny Cash impersonation, which played out real good with the ladies. Some even thought I was Johnny Cash for real, he recalls laughingly. I don't know if they really believed it or if they were lying to convince me, you know, to try and convince themselves. But who was I to say no to a quickie? (laughs) 
I can find no fault 13. in that logic. I thought you were going to tell me something like he kept uh, switching the sperm samples that people were sending yeah, in I with know, his own, like, you know? You know, to, so as, as, as I pointed out, this postman rang considerably more than twice. I'll say, uh, <laughs> you know, take that, Wilt. Uh, let me see who Wilt. Yeah, Wilt. I know <laughs> Wilt. The, well, <laughs> Wilt Chamberlain's got numbers. That, you know, he's in that he's in that very right. unique John Holmes category. <laughs> you know? N- nevertheless, you know, for a, a, for a, a only mailman, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> right I'm, I'm, on, baby. I'm impressed. Have I like I like the line. Of, who was I to say no to a quickie? That's right. <laughs> um, you know who died uh, recently? You know, there's a whole bunch. You know, we're talking about dying all the time. Yeah. Okay, Rob Ford, the uh, crack yeah. smoking yeah, mayor that's too of. Bad. Uh, I thought he was a pip. I thought, I, I thought he was a laugh. You got to really appreciate the voters in this. It's like, you know, he, he really took a page out of Marion Barry's book because mm-hmm. after, you know, he went through all this stuff, he was going to run again for mayor, but he came down with cancer. And so, you know, he developed cancer and said, you know, I can't go through the campaign for mayor again. So instead, he ran for like city council from his home district and he won. Great. Great for you, Rob. Yeah. So he, so he, he won that election, but he didn't win the big election. The, the big election yeah, caught up with him. Yeah. Um, what else happened? Now, this this is the one. This is one of those stories. Seriously, when I read this, it was one of those things I just couldn't. I I I, I don't just boom. Aubrey McClendon died early Wednesday morning after the Chevy Tahoe he was driving in crashed at high speed into an embankment. Uh, and this took place in Oklahoma City, according to police. Quote: He pretty much drove straight into the wall. McClendon, a one-time member of the Forbes 400 list, it was 56 years old, and his death comes one day after he was indicted by federal prosecutors on charging of uh, conspiring when he was the CEO of uh, Chesapeake Energy, which I'm not sure if they're the largest energy company in America, but they're like one of the top three. Chesapeake is like huge. Mm-hmm. I was a member of the Forbes 400, so that ought to tell you something. Okay. But he, they, they indicted him on charges of, of conspiring to rig bids for oil and gas leases. Now, this is the part. Yeah, this is one of those parts that I just absolutely. Whoops, Daisy. There we go. Let's get rid of that. It's one of these parts that I absolutely love because just a couple of days before the indictment came down, he said, and I quote. Anyone who knows me, my business record, and this is classic, and the industry in which I have worked for 35 years knows that I could not be guilty of violating any antitrust laws. That was his last public statement. Now, last year, Chesapeake Energy um, basically settled with uh, the Michigan uh, Attorney General over charges that um, Chesapeake Energy, while you know, while he was their CEO, had colluded with their rival in Kana to suppress land prices. Basically, they wanted to go in there and frack, mm-hmm. you know, whatever right. they possibly could. So they, so as opposed to competing with each other to give the these people who don't know what the hell is going on, okay, fair price for their land should they choose to sell. They basically said, "We're not even gonna, we're not gonna bid. We're just gonna go in there and tell them it's not worth shit, and we'll keep the land prices down, and then you and I can divvy it up later." You know. How could I be guilty of such a thing? But there was another part of this that that kind of caught my eye. Um, one of the things you have to understand is the Department of Justice, when they bring a case like this, mm-hmm. okay, they won't bring the case. They won't uh, bring the indictment unless they basically know for a fact they're, he's, the guy's going go, guy's going down. He's either going to take a plea deal or they are super, super confident that should he decide to go to court, 
12 of his parents are going to tell him to go fuck himself and send him off to prison. So they won't bring charges, okay, officially until they basically know they got you. Right. Now, the investigation into this guy, McClendon, started in 2012, okay? Minutes. And uh, there was a thing in here that said, aside from the possible, um, it was highly likely that McClendon had little choice but to agree to a felony plea. Aside from the possible fines or even jail time, a felony conviction would have been the end of McClendon because it would trigger morals clauses in his employment and financing contract. So he was done. I mean, basically, that's it. You're done. But minutes before news of McClendon's death broke, okay, Reuters, the Reuters news agency, revealed that his biggest financier, a guy named John Raymond, of Energy and Minerals Group, that's the name of the company, Energy mm-hmm. and Minerals Group, had written to his investors of his decision to cease any and all new business with McClendon. Now, investigations are when an investigation starts, the DOJ, mm-hmm. it's that that is made public that an investigation is started. But the details of the investigation, as it's ongoing, okay, are supposed to be secret. News of it, uh, the indictment itself is unsealed. They unseal the indictment. It is supposed to be sealed. But this guy knew ahead of time. This guy knew ahead of time. And what he did was, you know, he basically waited until he had no choice to do it. Which means this guy's a piece of shit scumbag. Why didn't he cease all business with him in 2012 when mm-hmm. the investigation right. started? Why didn't he cease all business when when Chesapeake Energy had to duck out uh, and settle with them, you know, the state of Michigan. Why? To make money. And what he, what this shows me is that this guy had a guy, this guy had somebody on the inside of the DOJ who tipped him off. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that when the indictment came down, okay, his company couldn't be basically attached to them. They do; they're currently doing business with so Well, no, we're not. We we cease business ties with him. Yeah, like six minutes ago, you fuck. So that was one of those things that just made me want to go, you know, I, I see this kind of stuff. It makes me want to go, you know, it's a good thing I'm a pacifist. Okay, that's, you know, yeah. because otherwise I'd be very tempted to go, you know, Ted Kaczynski on these guys. Sure. You know, they're just scumbags to the uh, to the end. Yes, degree. they are. They're what's wrong with the world. They're yeah, the reason else? that everything bad is happening. And what else went on up? The most interesting man in the world is now unemployed. Yeah, I know. Whatever. They're coming up with a new one now. They... There, there's going to be like a new campaign. It's going to be the same campaign, but with a new guy. They're trying to like appeal to millennials. I... Oh, well, everybody's got to. My problem with that campaign, because I'm a stickler for the English language and uh, and just in general, I'm a nitpicker. I am. The the slogan is "Stay thirsty, my friends." Now that doesn't make any sense to me. Right? Cause I don't want drinking. I, I don't want a friend to wish me thirst. That's not stay thirsty. What the what the fuck is that kind of a greeting or a benediction? I don't know. It's or a slogan. It's a, you want to nitpick on yeah. that? I'm going the other way because I think that's one of the ten best ad campaigns. It's a I've great ad campaign. The stay thirsty, I've my friends. Seen. How about cheers? You could have said any other thing that would have made sense. Yeah, well, any I'm willing thing. to. I'm willing have to have a beer. You could have said have a beer. Have a you know whatever. Just stay. I'm thirsty. just. Well, I'm willing to. I'm willing to overlook that because yeah. there were time after time. Oh, after some time, of those, They yeah. came up with some great stuff, man. Absolutely. Yeah, well, they came up with some great stuff. Um, what else? Well, here's one. I was going to, as a matter of fact, I was going to spend more time on this, but I'm going to brush it aside quickly. And I have a feeling you're going to be completely on board with what I'm going to say about it because right. Obama, you know, president went to Cuba. Oh, president, yeah. okay. oh. Right, exactly. Immediately, 
So let's fire Woo! up the right-wing meme machine. Let's get that puppy fired up over there. He's kissing Raul Castro's butt. Yeah, and you political know, prisoners. Well, that's all the thing. The minute, the minute he does anything, it's, it, it doesn't, doesn't matter, matter what it is. It doesn't matter it's what it is. It's the faux outrage right. starts coming in. And, of course, yeah. this was the the day he went to a baseball game on the, the day that the bombings took place in Brussels. And, of course, right. screaming and yelling. It was all and, planned. He planned that. You know, right. he knew the bombings. Well, he's you know. screaming, you know. He should be coming back because they, you know, first thing first, no matter where he is, okay, they think he should be someplace else. It doesn't matter what doesn't, he does. It doesn't He should be doing something else. What you know, and they're like, why does. didn't he fly back? Why you know, you, this what? is, you know, whenever something like that happens over there, what the what the conservatives do is go, you know, it was Brussels today. Tomorrow that's, that's it's why, on Main Street. With, with this, because I've got a lot of critical things to say about the president, too, but the way that they behave, they have made it very, very clear that bigotry is all they're about. That's it. That's all they're about. That's the root of everything that they are. Well, I'll give you a perfectly good reason why he didn't fly back. To the White House. Do you know why? Because he's not the fucking president of Belgium. Belgium. Fuck Belgium. With a, hey, Belgium. Look, I like these guys. I wish them well. I feel bad about this. But why, you know, let him see. Okay, but here was the one that got, because, you know, the meme at the end starts, there, there's like this, there's a picture of uh, President Obama, and in the background is like mm-hmm. this huge three-story mural of Che yeah. Guevara. So, right. of course, that, you know, and then, of course, so the right-wing meme team cranks up, sure. at which point... The left-wing like left meme, shows all the other presidents. Shows all the other presidents, cranks yeah. that up. Yeah. But the one that, I'll tell you, the thing that got to me that I really just couldn't wrap my head around was it wouldn't have mattered if the bombing had the bombing had taken place. They would have been upset, They were, and they were upset, strictly, basically just because he went to the baseball game. Because he, he was in a baseball game with Juan Castro. Side note on this, uh-huh. let me tell you something, okay? Raul. Raul Castro, right, uh-huh. Raul Castro. Okay, if Fidel Castro had been a better baseball player, Cuba would be a different place. The guy was in the minor leagues. Right. In the minor leagues. Cuba is baseball crazy. Baseball crazy. They love it. And a political reason for that, in case you didn't know. Really? Oh, yeah. Hit me. I'll tell you the origins. Back in the olden days, when uh, Cuba was starting to simmer in the revolution pot, the uh, the revolution against uh, Spain, that is. Cuba wanted to be emancipated from Spain. They started to do things very uh, deliberately to send a message to Spain that we're not old world Europe anymore. We're new world. And so they abandoned bullfighting. You'll notice the Cubans don't bullfight, but Mexico does and Spain does. No bullfighting in Cuba. Oh, right. You told me. That's right. You told me about this. Yeah. bullfighting and made a decided uh, and, and embraced baseball to not just because they actually liked it. They actually liked, the, you know, baseball was catching on, but America, for, you know, because of the proximity to America. But they wanted to send a message to Spain that we're part of the Americas, the new world, and we want to be like the new world, okay. meaning in, independent like America. And they also stopped doing the siesta thing and adopted Cuban coffee. In Mexico and in Spain, they still do siestas in the afternoon, but Cuba shifted to do things the American way, the New World way, you know, nine to five, bang, bang, bang. Right, bell like to bell. That. Oh, okay, there so you go. Well, a little thing. bit, I like Baseball it. and boxing, too. The other thing that the Cubans are, are big into is boxing. Sure, they we always got that won from the America, Olympics. But that's another thing. It's like, we're going to embrace the American sports and uh, no, no more stabbing uh, bulls in the back. <laughs> well, so, but this so, yeah, is one of those things. What, the thing that kind of, you know, made me do a double take is because, you know, baseball is America's game. Yeah. Okay, it's Walt right. Whitman, Walt Whitman. Okay, I see great things in baseball. It is America's game. That's what Walt Whitman said. I see great things in baseball. It is a fantastic export. And what I was thinking was this. You know, because a few days 
after Obama was there, the Rolling Stones mm-hmm. played down there. And it occurred to me that if you want to show off and export the best of freedom and then hope that it kind of, uh, you know, takes root and builds through osmosis in this, in, in any particular place. Okay. Sports and music. Sports mm-hmm. and music sure. are the absolute vehicles. Okay. You've got competition that is fair and artistic expression that is unrestrained. Right. Music. That ought to be. Right. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, you're mm-hmm. talking about the Rolling Stones and baseball. The Rolling mm-hmm. Stones and baseball, man. That's, you know, mm-hmm. greatest one. By the way, what's more American than the Rolling Stones? What's more American than Rolling? <laughs> hey, you know what? It, it represents, though, but it, it's a representation of the freedom and democracy sure. that we hope they will. We have be, visual aids over here, yeah, yeah, right? That we hope that they will, you know, that, that they'll embrace. I'll give you something else, though. Here's another interesting side note. Okay, um, another positive effect of the low oil prices. Okay, that are that are happening now because Cuba for years was propped up by Russia. But right. for, for the last many years, they've been propped up by Venezuela because Hugo Chavez was sympathetic to the cause. And mm. Venezuela's economy is basically based on oil. Sure. Their economy is now – I could go on that forever. But now they're not – they don't have the money anymore. Venezuela – basically, Venezuela just gave – like all its government employees, they just told them to go home for five days in order to save money on electricity. And you have to understand something. What most people don't know is that currently, okay, Venezuela has the most known untapped oil reserves in the world. It's not Saudi Arabia. It's not Russia. It's not – Venezuela is sitting on more oil and, and they have an abundance, an, an absolute mm-hmm. – Cash, cow, okay, of minerals, all kinds of valuable minerals, um, necessary metals. So they've got tons and tons and tons of it. Yet their economy shrank by 10% last year. It shrank. And there's a there's an interesting quote from some guy who goes, you know, the only way we're going to be able to solve this is to uh, – basically we're going to have to print more money. Well, that's great. You're going to have a shrinking economy and 200% inflation. Well done, sir. Sure. Well done. You know, so hey, it worked for post World War One Germany, so why right. not? <laughs> but but my point here is that do you think that this kind of thing would have taken place with with President Obama coming down and and now the Rolling Stones coming down and this kind of at least initial willingness to say all right, let's talk. I right. mean, would that have happened if oil was still at one hundred and fifty dollars a barrel, one hundred dollars a barrel, one hundred twenty dollars a barrel? No, because Venezuela would still be giving them money, and they wouldn't fucking care. But now they got to care. Now they're going to have to start looking around because basically their economy is about to go even further into the bottomless pit than it already was. So another positive ancillary benefit of yeah. low oil prices. Love it to all of my to all the people out there who are like you know these low oil prices are bad for us. You know, like I said, the, you know, mm-hmm. as you were talking, you know, the horse and buggy industry. Yeah. You know, God <laughs> damn it! God damn it! How d- Henry Ford <laughs> taking away my job? <laughs> You know, but you know, it's, really, I have, I have friends of mine. Like, I have friends of mine that are that are. You know, we need to support the coal workers. No, no, I really don't. I feel bad 
that they happen to be in an industry and that their livelihood is completely and utterly dependent on an industry you know, whose time has long since passed. And just because we happen to have a lot of it, we keep, you know, just because you have a well, lot of don't, shit don't, doesn't mean you should spread it all over why don't, your body. Why don't we also support the, the asbestos insulation uh, industry? <laughs> God bless the, DuPont. And, and the radium watch dial industry, hand painted now, don't you know? <laughs> like, we could just go on and on I know, uh, all, I, all day long. How about, I, the, how about the mercury cough medicine industry? We really need to support, you know, the uh, the mercury the lead lace, paint industry. The, yeah, the lead paint industry and the mercury cough medicine industry. I don't, and you know, and I I do. I feel bad. I feel bad for the individuals themselves because no, they have been who is who is owed a living. All right, just because you choose a part, like I chose broadcasting. <laughs> okay, just because you choose a profession, does the universe owe you a a successful uh, career in the profession that you chose? Especially if it's something that's a, that's a poisonous industry like so coal. There's an interesting quote I got here from uh, Buckminster Fuller. He goes, "We must do away with the absolutely specious notion that everybody has to earn a living." Right. It is a fact today that one in ten thousand of us can make a technological breakthrough capable of supporting all the rest. The youth of today are absolutely right recognizing this nonsense of earning a living. We keep inventing jobs because of this false idea that everybody has to be employed at some kind of drudgery because according to you know Malthusian Darwinian theory, he must justify his right to exist. So we have inspectors of inspectors and people making instruments for inspectors to inspect the inspectors. <laughs> the true business of people should be to go back to school and think about whatever it was they were thinking about before somebody came along and told them they had to earn a living. Amen. God bless you, Buckminster Fuller. So, you know, you got that one right. Uh, hamsters on a wheel. Ham- I, I want off. I, yeah, I, I definitely, I, I, if there's sure. anything I don't want to do, it's freaking yeah. commute in the morning and afternoon. I'm I done. Just, I have a five-minute commute the here. The turnpike. Look, I don't mind. Going back, you know, even at 5 o'clock going home, it's the death mark on 95. But if I had to do that twice a day, seriously, road rage would be the reason. Two hours hours a day I spent commuting, each (laughs) one hour each way for how many years I was making all this money. But look look how much of my life I spent just sitting in my car doing this. I hate that shit. All right, we're going to keep the groove going. Last week I had, uh, you know, I got together all these songs, uh, you know, of Irish you know, Irish bands, I, and Irish bands, and stuff like that. And of course, I had you know, I immediately get the, uh, you know, all these friends of mine. Hey, what about? Hey, what about? Hey, what about? Hey, you missed this. Hey, you missed this. You know, why didn't you right. play the Pogues? Well, the reason I didn't play the Pogues is because I'm not really a big fan of the Pogues. So there you go. Thank why you, didn't you play Thin Lizzy? Because I just played them the week before. How about right. Stiff Little Fingers? I just played them right after the Powers. You know, so you know everybody's got their thing. But there was a, there were a couple of bands that actually I you know I just for some reason didn't include, and one of them is. Uh, a band that I always liked. It's the Undertones. I don't know if you know these guys. They're uh, and, and let me be clear about this. I just want to make sure. I want to make sure that we're clear about this. Okay. All right. They're not from Northern Ireland. You know where they're from? They're from the northern part of Ireland. Gotcha. You like? Yeah, right. you like that one. Yes. They shouldn't have. Call, they shouldn't call it Northern. Is it Northern Ireland or North Ireland? North Ireland. Uh, yeah, it's North Ireland. Thank it's you. North Ireland. Yeah, so they're North from Island. Northern. Yeah, Ireland. it's North Ireland. North-ish. It's the Ulster district of North yes. Ireland, but it, they're from the northern part of Ireland. Ireland. And they were around when I was living there. And these guys kind of they started out punk and then they morphed into, I don't want to say power pop, but they kind of it's an interesting. You know, they've got a lot of stuff out there that's kind of an interesting mix between 
punk, and pop. Did you just call them interesting mix? An interesting mix. I did. It's an interesting mix. They're interesting. They're an interesting mix. They are an interesting mix. They, but they started around because they were around on uh, 76. I know that when I was there. So, you know, what the hell? Let's keep it going. It's the undertones on the Groovathon on SoFloRadio.com. Winter is changing 
Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, give me peace. Give me peace. I don't know who's been fooling with me. You are the devil. I don't know. And I won't even bring the human into this. He's just a mutt, so I'm not even going to bring him into it. But I'm confused. I'm mad. I love you, Lord. I love you. But I'm mad at you. I am mad at you. So deliver me tonight, Lord. What should I do? Now tell me. Should I lay hands on myself? What should I do? I know I'm a sinner and I once in a while, woman, I have, but I'm your servant. Since I was a little boy, you brought me back from the dead. I'm your servant. What should I do? Tell me. I've always called you Jesus. You always called me Sonny. What should I do, Jesus? This is Sonny talking. One, now. two, three. Come on. We got DJ Kool and Duck get come fresh. On. Rock it to the beat because we are the best. Fresh and Biz Marquee hey. Rock to the beat in the place to be We got Biz Marquee and DJ 20 So yeah. hit me with the horns and make that money
party is right where you're standing at right now. And it's all good in here. Make some noise. So, turn the flavor of the rhythm, I do Well, I got a chance to let me clear my throat.
That was the Optic Nerve, um, Take Me. You know, that is a band um, that I've known for years and years. The uh, bass player in that is Oren Portnoy, who's the younger brother of Alon Portnoy. And originally, I thought that was uh, a live version from a uh, place called The Garden, which was down on uh, 6th Street in New York. It's a place where bands would play. It was back from 1986. But I got in touch with a guy, uh, John Fay, who had played drums with them for a few minutes. He's been in a bunch of his own bands and stuff, and he now lives out on the big island and I got in touch and I was like hey let me ask you something is it you know is this live because no 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 it's a studio recording but they put live pictures on it from the show so that is the optic nerve and 30 years later okay somebody called up uh, these guys and said hey we want you to come and tour Italy so they're on tour in Italy right now you know out of nowhere so far out alright I think that's cool before that Radio Citizen The Hop um, for that's from 2006 an album called Berlin Serengeti, and the lead singer on that you were asking me about is a lady named Baika, B-A-J-K-A, and she's one of these, uh, uh, you know, uh, performance artist, poet, musician, you know, spoken word type. uh, What nationality? She is from Eastern Europe. The band is from Germany, and I believe she's from Czechoslovakia, or so she's she's Eastern Europe thing going on there. Got that kind of pasty. Uh, it does. It's, it, it was. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool stuff. It is. It is. It was groovy. It is groovy, yeah. baby. For that DJ cool, let me clear my throat. <coughs> there was a. T- I was telling you that in this summer of '96, that song was on yeah. every boombox on every stoop north of 96th Street. I mean, I worked uh, on on 79th Street at, at WIOD. Our sister station was uh, Hot 105, 
Yeah, that must have been on there all the up and down the halls, man. Yeah, like, you could. You opened up the toilet. That was a DJ goal. That's right. That's actually the, that's the version that was really popular. It was recorded at yeah. uh, a place in Philadelphia, like the Bahama Club or whatever it is. It's got uh, Biz Marquee and uh, Dougie Fresh both on that, both of whom I've played before on this show. Dougie Fresh, the show, yeah. and Lottie Dottie, We Like to Potty, et cetera, et cetera. Before that, the Apostle Robert Duvall. I'm mad at you. Should I lay hands on myself? I was like, God, go right ahead, pal. <laughs> For that, one of my favorite bands, Gentle Giant, doing uh, You're Only As Old As You're Young. It's from uh, The Missing Piece. It's like a three or four album run in there that Gentle Giant did with like uh, Interview and Giant for Day and Freehand. By the way, that is how I like my art progressive rock done. By <laughs> Scottish Jews, okay, okay yeah. and they're probably the only three Scottish Jews Jews in Scotland. Of course, the reason is it's they're all brothers. It's the Shulman brothers. So, okay. Scottish Jews doing progressive rock. We love that kind of stuff. Kicking off the undertones, who are from the northern part of Ireland. So there you go. The undertones getting it to you with "You've got my number." Why don't you use it? Which was actually that's a forty-five song on any album. They released that uh, separately, and then it was put on, I guess, later on a greatest hits album. Okay, here we go. You ready? ready? Yeah, I'm ready. It's Trump time. I'm ready? Trump time. Yeah, straighten I'm it ready. out. Stretch out. Stretch out everything. You know, I I was originally going to do. You know, I called you and said I wanted to do. Uh, you know, I called and said, hey, "Have you seen this movie Cartel Land?" And I was saying, "Okay, you right, know, yeah, let's yeah. do that." And if you haven't. Um, there's a documentary out called Cartel Land. You should see it. And if for no other reason, then we're going to be talking about that next show because it should be talked about. This is something that, absolutely. Yeah, there's something new. But I, I kind of, you know, basically it's all Trump all the time now. Okay, sure. I everything. I mean, it literally took a terrorist bombing. Okay, to get you know to get talk of Trump out of the A block. In every single newscast. And even that didn't last too long because the inevitable right. happens. Now they need the commentary about what Trump thinks about whatever it is, you know. And, of course, what he thinks is, you know, Ralph Cramden, homina, 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 homina. So, um, you know, I mean, I thought it was interesting because now that these stations are basically just – they serve as a retweeting tool yeah, for yeah. Donald Trump. and. That's and it. Twitter is perfect for him. Twitter is literally it's the, the perfect communication tool for this guy because, uh, you know, there's like a limited amount of space. You know, there's a limited amount of characters. So right. there's really no room for detail, which he right. doesn't have in the first place. But it does provide an instantly wide-reaching platform where, you know, basically you can succinctly spew bluster and hyperbole and and antagonism. Mm-hmm. And very importantly, from afar, I mean, it's, you know – not doing it right to the person's face. Let's just, you know, keep typing it in, typing it in, and, you know, they're, they're thousands of miles away, so fuck them. So, basically, in any event, I decided to kind of take care of Trump in, you know, one foul swoop. What what kept going through my mind was uh, the uh, the Jerry Seinfeld episode, you know, like a, treat it like a Band-Aid, just got to pull it right off! <laughs> you know? So that's, that was how I felt about this. So, um, there were a number of things that really kind of got me going on this, and the first thing... You know, I was telling you that I'm amazed by some of my friends. I have, I have one friend of mine in particular, I guess, more than anything else, I find it disappointing. Yeah. Okay? And here's the thing. You know, people use the term flip-flop 
a lot. And it happens a lot. You know, you have people who literally will switch viewpoints as a method of pandering to a particular group that wants, you know, that they want to gain the support of. On the other hand, there are plenty of times where flip-flop, flip-flopping is just be, being used incorrectly because mm-hmm. people change their minds. They change their minds. People come to a different point of view. My uncle used to be a liberal. He is now a foxophile. He is a fox devotee. Devotee. And this is an exceedingly well-read man who is completely logical and on, on, you know, and pragmatic when it comes to most things. He couldn't be a nicer guy. Couldn't be a nicer guy. Fox devotee. You know? So people change their minds. And a particular friend of mine posted, um, you know, they're always posting these things that somebody else has written about Trump. I wanted to read this one because this one made me want to just yank every hair I had out strand by strand to, you know, to elongate the pain that I, the self-flagellation I felt I was deserving for having just, for being in the same planet as the person who wrote this. And I'm going to read it and include the punctuation in it because I think that's important. I believe Donald Trump is showing the United States, comma, what happens when someone who is not controlled by politics, comma, cannot be bought, comma, and frankly, comma, is, quotation mark, just an American, quotation mark, period, after the quotation mark. Okay, then capital J, just what happens, period. Yes, and please, don't hurt yourself trying to make that grammatically too, correct too, because too yeah too, okay democrats hate him republicans can't control him comma and the government wants to destroy him period so comma if no party backs him period start with the capitalization most likely he is a threat to their agendas period which in turn comma <laughs> means he's a threat to their lies and deceptions period it probably means he's exactly what america needs right now period people are always saying comma we need to get every career politician out of politics comma, might as well start at the top, period. If no party likes you, comma, you're probably doing it right. No period. <laughs> okay, the end of that. So you, you know, forget about the fact that my mother, you know, I, I've been sitting, I, I grew up sitting at a dinner table, you know, every night with a mother who's got a Bachelor of Arts from Barnard in English mm-hmm. and a Master's in Library Sciences from Columbia. So my my first thought beyond the obvious, which is, oh, God. You know, I was like, why don't you just go over and take a big fucking dump right on E.B. White's grave? <laughs> you know, but I couldn't resist. OK, and I normally I try and not respond to these things because then the inevitable happens and I'm going to have to read everybody else's response. And now I'm you know, but I just couldn't help myself. So I wrote, I believe Donald Trump has just shown us what happens when someone who has not read the elements of style tries to convey his newfound allegiance to a silver spooned fork tongue demagogue who is a cross between P.T. Barnum and Chance the Gardener. It takes a certain kind of misguided anger and idiocy to muster up the amount of cognitive dissonance required in order to believe that this huckster can actually fulfill even a single campaign promise. And you can tell that he's completely full of shit because half of his statements include him saying, believe me. Um, no, I don't think I can, at least not without a great deal of chloroform in a hammock. So that was my response to that one. And before I get into it, and I've, I've literally cranked up the Donald Trump analogy generator. I got, I got him. 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 Okay, but a you few go, observations. Go, I'll tell you some of the things I wrote down. I said Trump is so popular these days that basically Trump is the new black. 
Like that one? I, <laughs> okay. Okay. I just, you know, throwing that one out there. Basically, he is the spawning of Marshall McLuhan's worst nightmare. Okay. Marshall McLuhan is the guy who coined the phrase and then wrote the book, the medium is the message. And then he, you know, and then he went on to change that to, it's the medium is the mess age. And then he changed it again to, uh, the medium is the massage. And ironically, if you think about it, he got all three of those right. And what it means is that the form of the medium um, that a message is conveyed in embeds itself into the message. So it creates a symbiotic relationship by which the medium influences how the message is perceived. Okay? Mm -hmm. So basically, the way in which you get something, okay, influences – it plays a part in the the original thought itself – gets manipulated by the way in which that thought is conveyed, okay, through, depending on the medium, whether it's through TV or radio or print, those mediums in, in and of themselves start playing a part in the message. So the original message was what it was, and now it's perceived based on how it's delivered. And that was what he was, what McLuhan was trying to say. And in this case, I said that uh, Donald Trump is the medium. He's the medium. And his persona has embedded itself into whatever message he's bloviating about his supporters don't necessarily like him they like the idea of him and that idea permeates his message causing his supporters to like the idea of the message without really knowing if they like or for that matter fully comprehend what the message itself is now saying that is like striking out the picture of baseball i mean how do you fully comprehend what this guy's saying i mean who knows what he's saying anymore i have no freaking idea and and, you know it occurred to me that if, if you talk tough long enough to those who desire toughness in their leaders eventually they'll perceive your their your talk as that of a genuine Mm -hmm. tough guy they you know you're you're preaching to the choir in order to try and convince them to get sing to sing louder Mm -hmm. okay and uh he's basically a cross between marshall McLuhan and machiavelli you know and that's not the first time i've i've made that analogy i made that exact same analogy um, a number of years ago, I wrote something uh, about – I wrote a, a doctrine for Obama. Yes, we can pick and choose. And one of the things that I was talking about in there is how leaders in the Middle East like Gaddafi, mm-hmm. before the internet, okay, there was just state-run television. Mm-hmm. And so they weren't angry at us necessarily for what we had done. They were angry at us because what their leaders had told them we had done. It was all just you know blown at you over and over. It was a very Machiavellian way of of kind of – you know, enforcing your will on people, and yet at the same time, hey, but look what I'm giving you, state-run mm-hmm. television. I'm giving you television. So um, he's taking advantage kind of you – know, I wrote down, he's taking advantage of the uh, the broadcast news medium. If it bleeds, mm-hmm. it leads. You know, and much of what, you know, he says goes right for the jugular, you know, of whoever happened to piss him off that week. You know, whatever there is. And, uh, and there's a term called guided democracy or um, managed Democracy, and it's defined as uh, it is a democratic government with increased autocracy ruled by a single person. Um, governments are legitimated. Okay, I hate that word; it's clumsy. Is right? that a really word? It is actually a. Re- it, I, it really is a real word. It's the it's the exact same thing as legitimized. Okay. Except I just think it's clumsy. It's a clumsier word, but okay. basically that is it. Yeah, it's a real I'm word. I'm gonna start using it more. Okay. Um, uh, let me see. Governments are legitimated by elections that are free and fair, but emptied 
of substantive meaning in their ability to change the state's policies, motives, and goals. So in other words, the government has learned to control elections so that people can exercise all of their rights without truly changing public policy. While they follow the basic democratic principles, Mm -hmm. okay, there can be major deviations towards authoritarianism. So under managed democracy, the electorate is prevented from having a significant impact on policies adopted by the state's continuous use of propaganda techniques. And what so that's what managed uh, or uh, guided democracy is. And that then, you know, the next phase after that is authoritarianism, which Mm -hmm. is a basis for legitimized legitimacy in a government based on emotion. Um, especially the identification of the regime as a necessary evil Mm -hmm. to combat easily recognizable societal problems such as underdevelopment or insurgency. Now, in this case, the insurgency would be illegal Mm -hmm. immigration, both legal and illegal. They're immigrants. They're they're them, them. They're them. They're coming from over there. Sure. That's the other other people. The other people. That is the insurgency. So basically... You know, Trump is, you know, support of Trump is, is the result. It's, it's visceral. It's not logical. And what's scary is that his supporters do not view him as a necessary evil. They view him as a necessary virtue. Right. They really do. Oh, yeah. You know, this is the, this is the, the difference in it. And so I've come up with a term for this. You ready? I have a ready. new, I have a new term right. that I want to inject into the uh, dialectic here. Okay. This, you know, this, this, feeling of of viewing him as a necessary virtue i'm going to call this the yeehaw factor okay because we want our leaders to be that's what they're looking for let's you'll, go you'll, in there guns somebody sam guns <laughs> a bla- yes you'll say guns a blazing baby you know and it it didn't escape me the the irony that the the guy with the most yeehaw factor today mm-hmm. is a new yorker died in you know died in the world new yorker sure so i you know, i thought that was kind of interesting and I wrote down that the more the the more we see the world as a dangerous place rife with enemies, the more we look for strength in our leaders to the point where we don't care if the if uh, if it's the steroids that have bulked him up. We just you know just so long as he conveys strength on our behalf. Okay, that's what we want. But if you allow someone to serve as your strength proxy long enough, okay, eventually he's going to become uh, increasingly emboldened. Until one day you turn around and realize that his strength has morphed into the roid rage of authoritarianism. That's what happened. And, and they like it. And they love it. They love it. And, I, and so I wrote down, you know, Bernie Sanders' campaign slogan is a future to believe in. So it occurred to me that Donald Trump's campaign slogan should be a bully to believe in. Yeah. I like that one. Well, he's not going to see it that way. He's, he's not. Like, hey, I'm, 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 I'm a nice guy. I'm the nicest guy. Yeah, the nicest guy. The the thing is, I believe that he is a uh, a disturbing harbinger of uh, of things to come. He is the gilded mast on the horizon. I, I, I don't I don't think there's anything uh, gilded about him. Is it? My, I don't want to interrupt your, your no, flow no no no. Go here, ahead. This I got, I'm the, taking taking, taking notes because because the thing that I find fascinating about this and 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 I'm um, equally fascinated by him. But but here's the thing, and and other people have said it. There's there's Donald Trump. There there are two conversations here: Don, Donald Trump and the phenomenon, and then the Donald Trump supporters. Right. Yeah. Those okay. are two because yes, Donald Trump. Um, you know the difference between Donald Trump and and any 
other bloviating demagogue of the past is that those those people, the, the demagogues of the past, were actually articulate people yeah. that could turn a phrase. The McCarthy's of the past, you know, uh, you know yeah, Hitler, you, you know. I got these, a McCarthy reference these, later on. These are, like it. These, are, these are people that were very skilled communicators that, that were artful. Right. And the craft of communication. He's the what, result of the dumbing is, down of America. What this is a, what this is what this is an indicator of right now is if really somebody who is so very obviously craft a uh, crass, like obviously, obvious to the rest of us. Like really, if a if a sack of shit stood on a podium and and could speak, and everyone and everyone who's like that's a sack of shit. And even everybody's – that's a second until the shitbag opens its mouth and says, I hate spick, spooks, and Muslims and ragheads. I hate them, and I want to keep them out of America. All of a sudden, bling, he turns into a golden god to all these people where all of a sudden they don't see that he's a turd. And, and here – and the, like the thing that you read at the beginning is very – as a very perfect indicator. Here are people who are very stupid. Who are not good at the word game. That's how they – that's how you know. We who speak English – and have command of the English language can plainly recognize this man who speaks on a fourth grade level and like, all right, but the people that like him, they don't recognize that. They don't, right? and stupid doesn't recognize stupid, first of all. So they don't recognize that he's, that he's speaking on a fourth grade level and they don't care that everything that he says in between I hate spooks. Everything that he says in between the, the constant reminder of I hate ethnics and minorities and Indians and women bleed, everything that he says in between those little reminders is just a bunch of word salad. Well, and so these people, these people who don't even, they don't understand actual policy. Like when people like, like Bernie Sanders well, or Hillary that's, Clinton. That's or anybody perfect else, for him because he's got none. When all of these people who, who are speaking actual policy, when they, when, when, when the policy speakers speak, the Trump supporters, they just hear white noise anyway. They hear the peanuts adults. They hear, wah, 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 wah. they hear the teacher. That's all they hear yeah. anyway. So they really don't care what Trump is saying in between the, the, the reminder that I hate the my dog noise, whistles. The dog whistles. They don't even, they don't, they're not even paying any attention to that. That's just, you know, and I'm terrific and he says the were terrific and that's terrible and this he's just just stalling and killing time and saying a bunch of a bunch of nonsense and then these people but like the thing that you wrote because i want to address that the thing that that person wrote right at the beginning of yeah. your of your thing people who don't speak english yeah people who don't speak english herniatically trying to articulate a <laughs> herniatically try they're 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 really bending over backwards they're bleeding they're they're bending they're over backwards straining. what are you giving me they're, 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 they're literally linguistic contortionist they're straining to articulate yeah a, a, a po positive support without saying we like him because he's a bigot and we are too. They're trying to figure out a, a way, to, a, a supporting message. How can I say? How can I explain why I like Trump without? Well, I'm going to you saying, know what? I've got. I'm a bigot and he's a bigot and I like him because he's a bigot and I don't care at all about anything else about him. He could be uh, evil. Well, he is. He's got and no I've, I've got the analogies right here that are going to be perfect They can't, they can't, they can't, 
point to his ability to communicate. They can't point to his business record because he's not a good businessman. He he inherited his money and and he blew it's a lot of it. Even he, the, the way they try and explain he it people is, off. he's not a good businessman. He's not a good moral character. He's not any of the things that they're all of their to explanations are the same. It's not that they like him; it's that they hate everybody else. And so he's like, for them, he he's the last man like, what is standing. So, so he speaks his mind. Who doesn't speak their mind? They're just they're throwing out these things that, by the way, they think is an argument. They think that they're making sense. They don't. And and there's like they're just blathering well, idiots. So well, here we go. We're now we're now going to go into it because I I took the challenge. Okay, because right. I, I first of all I still think that my initial. The cinnamon the, challenge, the nutmeg I took the initial. The I, I think that my initial analysis is across between P.T. Barnum and Chance Gardner. I still think that. I don't a give him that much credit. I don't give him that much credit. Uh-huh. I don't see him because I've, I've. You've seen those those speeches yeah. from other hucksters well, in the past. I got other ones. I got other ones because I, you know, after the the after you burst my bubble with the Biff thing, yeah. I started writing down. So okay, All right. believing in Trump is like believing in religion. Okay, and let's keep in mind that that's different than having faith. Belief in religion. Is different than having faith. Okay, both demand acceptance without proof. Okay, and thus his need to include the words "believe me" at least once in every rally. So he's imploring his lemmings to basically follow me, and then I promise to tell you where we're going. You know, just as soon as I fucking figure it out for myself. Um, and both Trump and religion make us irrationally feel better about our place in the world and its future. He's basically the latest opiate of the masses. Okay, I almost went off on a whole opiate thing there, and then I said, "Ah, I'm not going to do that." So, but the other thing that occurred to me is when you think about it, he is literally custom made for evangelicals because, by and large, they're hypocrisy laden suckers. Okay, that's what you know. They have no problem being quick to forgive and forget the acts of a you know a sinner amongst themselves, as long as that person is willing to you know with conviction offer his repentance from the depths of his heart, and then. In the same breath, you reaffirm his allegiance to, you know, his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So they're all going to do that. Okay, here we go. You ready? You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Trump is a cross between, oh, this is a, uh, okay. Trump is a cross between Brian from The Life of Brian and mm. Marvelous Marvin Hagler. Okay. Okay. Remember, remember ha- Marvin Hagler mm. had his name changed legally oh, to, Marvin. to Marvelous Marvin Hagler so that anytime somebody on TV said it or wrote it they had to say marvelous marvin Hagler. and you know one of the things i thought about with that is it's a very interesting kind of was it it's, it's like an internal passive aggressive conflict because on the one hand it's incredible conceit and on the other hand it's incredible insecurity it, it you know represents both of those things well when you're in show business you have an excuse but i thought it was, i thought <laughs> one of the things about you know this is this really kind of plays into his followers because in the life of brian there's like this follow the shoe Yes. Follow the, the, the gourd. Yeah, sure. Follow the gourd. All right. Play the uh, play the clip, and then we'll speak to us, Master. Speak to us. Go away. How shall we go away, Master? Oh, just go away. Leave me alone. Give us a sign. He has given us a sign. He has brought us to this place. I didn't bring you here. You just followed me. Oh, it's still a good sign by any standard. Hail, Messiah! I'm not the Messiah. I say you are Lord, and I should know I followed a few. Hail Messiah! I'm not the Messiah. Will you please listen? I am not the Messiah. Do you understand? Honestly. Only the true Messiah denies his divinity. What? Well, what sort of chance does that give me? All right, I am the Messiah. He is 
<laughs> I think that pretty much says it all right there. I see. I say you're the Messiah, and I should know I've followed a few. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there's always one per generation, isn't there? Absolutely. Okay, we've got. I've got more. I got tons of them. He's a cross between. This is Donald Trump. Is what happens when you take Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. okay, and you put him in a house and you force him to watch nothing but Sam, Sam Peckinpah movies for an entire year. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what you wind up with. Okay, just a guy who is totally full of confidence and right. full of the ability to ins- to instill confidence in others mm-hmm. though without much cause that i could think of okay yeah that with sam peckinpah movies is you know all of his movies center around like the loner who feels he needs to justify his violent act and then of course peckinpah you know is known for like this graphic violence and all that kind of you know he's known for like really brutal violence it's a mm. really funny scene i couldn't find a clip from it from the beginning of a movie called cop starring james woods this guy's trying to make a uh a 911 call to report something that he just saw, mm-hmm. okay, which is basically a really, you know, this person's being hung and gutted and shit, and he opened the door and saw this. And so he's on the phone trying to call 911. He goes, mm-hmm. yo, dude, you guys better come over here, man. This thing is like something out of a Peckinpah film. <laughs> it's really hilarious. Okay, here's one. He is, basically what he is is he is a combination of the Edward Norton character, Worm, from Rounders, and the cartoon character, Richie Rich. Okay? Now, in the uh, movie Rounders, there's a scene in the, uh, in, the beginning of the, uh, in the beginning of the movie, right after Worm gets out of prison, the first place that, the, uh, that uh, Michael McDermott, who is the Matt Damon character, okay, takes him is to like this game, it's a, it calls it a berry patch. It's all these trust fund guys, they, they can't play poker with the damn and blah, blah, blah. And so they pull up, and he says, look, um, I got this feeling. I think you know this feeling. I mean, you know, you got your table all set. You got your knife. You got your fork. You got your plate. You got your sauce. Your A1, your Lugers. Mm-hmm. Okay? And McDermott looks at him and goes, yeah, but you just don't have the steak, do you? And so he has to give him a bunch of money. And the analogy is about Trump because not only is his table set, but he's got a bankroll fat enough to be able to, you know, eat massive, perfectly eyed ribeyes for the rest of his life. Combined with the guile of a grifter who's eager to show them off, you know, to anybody else. It's like, look at the best of Smith and Walensky while simultaneously bellowing ribeyes for all my friends, even though he knows the best they can hope for is thinly sliced chuck from a herd laden with mad cow disease. Now, later on in the movie, okay, Worm is basically playing at a card game and he's... He's using the, you know, he's cheating. He's cheating. That's what he's doing. He's mm-hmm. cheating in order to make money. And he's doing it at a place that's supposed to be the Mayfair Club, another thing. And McDermott has to go back because he's playing on McDermott's dime. He, he like, took the money on the finger, and now he's using that. So it's on McDermott. It's on Michael, you know, the Damon character. And mm-hmm. he gets warned by Knish, and he goes back, and he brings him upstairs. He goes, you know... I just want you to think, you know, you're, you're doing, you're being stupid, man. You can't do this. Those guys, Roman and Maurice, man, they're not rabbits. They're fucking Russian outfit guys. He goes, I want you to think long term. Okay, be smart. Every place in Manhattan, they all keep books. If you get listed as a mechanic, then not only you get the shit kicked out of you, you won't be able to get a game anywhere in New York City. It's stupid. It's just bad business. To which Worm responds, this is what I love about you. You think about the big picture. That's great. But it's not me. 
I don't play the game straight up. And then if I lose, go get some real work. I see a mark, I take him down. That's what I do. That's the way I live. And the thing is this, is that Trump is basically worm with a bankroll. Yeah. He sees a mark and takes him down. Yep. Not because he needs the money, but because he needs his fucking ego fed. Yep. Okay? In the immortal words of Audrey too, the plant from Little Shop of Horrors, Feed me, Seymour. Feed me. Yeah. That's who he is. He's sure. literally worm with a bankroll. He doesn't give a shit, okay, mm. that he doesn't need what he's got. He just sees a mark and he takes him down. So the line that uh, the line that's used in that is, you know, the, the, the adage, you can shear a sheep many times, you can skin him only once. Never okay. heard that. That's it. It's one of those... Gambling lines. I, I mean, see. You can shear a sheep. Uh, uh, is that grifter jargon there? No, <laughs> it's, it's more. It's more mechanic. You know, it's more sitting around a felt over there. That that those I kinds see, of of things like that. I have got the. I've saved a whole bunch of the the really good ones. Okay, for later. And the the one I've got one coming up that I absolutely promise you, you are going to say, "Wow, you got it right there." Because I figured out exactly who he is. We're going to keep the groove going though. You know what? In keeping with our theme today, in keeping with our religi- religiosity, as it were, okay, we keep it going. We keep the devil down by the North Mississippi All-Stars on the Groovathon on SoFloRadio.com.
and sing and do the shingling. That's what we do. Son, can you hear me? You don't have to say anything. Just know I'm here to help you. I'm a minister of the Lord. I want you to know the Lord loves you here today, and I love you. Now, if you can't answer, just nod. If you can't nod, just, you know, think it. Answer me in your mind, in your heart. If the Lord would call you right now, would you be ready? You accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Are you ready for him? Are you ready to follow and accept him at this very instant? Take me through the night. Break down. 
yeah, the, the Holy Father himself, James Brown. That is, uh, there was a time, there, there's, I don't know how, you know, James Brown's got like 10 different versions of some of his songs. And of course, I have the complete James Brown catalog. Okay. As as every as as every decent hardworking American should, you should have all seventy some on albums. I don't know how many. Him and Frank Zappa, prolific to I'm be sure. By the that I, I, there, right? There are some complete collections. <laughs> I I'm I'm with you on that one. But that is dynamite. That's uh, from the 1968. There's a live album he came out with, and um, it was done from Texas. And so he would come out with like uh, a studio album and a live album like every year or like a studio album and a, then another album of like instrumentals and stuff. Every year he came out with like two albums, you know, year after year after year after year. Reading his catalog, bizarre. Uh, before that, Tom Petty breakdown from his first album. For that little, just thought I'd throw it in there for, for no reason whatsoever. Praxis uh, from the Transmutation album, that is the Stimulation Loop. That's, that is a Bernie Worrell's band. He had... Um, I don't know how many different band lineups in Praxis. He kept putting new new band lineups together with him as the leader. But that one has uh, Bootsy Collins and Buckethead, and I believe Bill Laswell on drums. So that was a particularly good lineup. Before that, The Apostle. One more time. Are you ready to accept Jesus into your heart right now? Before that, Mo Horizons. Do the Boogaloo. That is from one of the umpteen acid jazz collections I have and kicking off the North Mississippi All-Stars Keep the Devil Down. They were, you know, that's one of those bands I discovered them, I guess, many years ago. They played like Bonnaroo, I think is, is you know, I was watching something from Bonnaroo on YouTube or whatever and this band happened to me and I was like, wow, they're great. And so I, they came and, and saw, I got to see them in, uh, live at uh, right here, Revolution. And they were on tour with uh, Blues Traveler. So that was a pretty good show. North Mississippi All-Stars and Blues Traveler. That was, you know, that was a bit of a rocking show. Which is cool because the guy I went to that show with, it's the same guy I'm going to the show this week. I'm going to Rockfest to go see every 80s band ever in the history of 80s bands. So I'm, uh, you know, going there doing my uh, doing my thing so I can hang out with the boys from Winger, which should be, uh, which should be interesting. Got some backstage passes. Say hello to Kip. And uh, right now, as we speak, my brother is in San Francisco with Kip Winger doing something. I don't know what, what in God's name he's doing out there. But all right. Let's back back to the matter at hand. Back to the matter at hand. Donald Trump is the snake oil salesman from the outlaw Josie Wales. Now we first meet him, okay, on the ferry ride, right from the uh, from the the outpost, the trading post. And yeah. this is one of those. This is one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever when. They're on there, and the, the uh, snake oil salesman's wearing, like, this white suit, yeah. and he's trying to make a pitch to the outlaw Josie Wells. This thing is great. It, it can do anything, anything. And, of course, Josie Wells is chewing tobacco, and he spits on him. He goes, really, how does it work on stains? Yeah, he spits on his lapel. Yeah. He spat on everything, yeah, everyone no, that, in that he movie. He spits on the tarantula spits, at one point. He spits on the dog's forehead. He spits forehead. on the dog's forehead. He spits on the dead guy. Yeah, but that was the whole thing. That's how you know yeah. he's about yeah. to... You know, like do something. He, this he is, is one of our favorite movies. We can't get enough. It's punctuation. <laughs> yeah. You and I can't get enough. Of no, the no, no. it was a, it was a masterpiece. It, it was is. like a perfect piece of filmmaking. It, it's like the Godfather. Was like, exactly. There's people a, who tell me that they've never seen a movie like that. I'm like, to there, me, that's like saying you haven't seen the Godfather. I'm like, there is a, that it, it just it's it was serendipitous. It was just in the part. There wasn't a bad scene. There wasn't a bad morsel. The pacing is perfect. And the and the 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 lingo, like the jargon, the 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 way it was written. But here's the thing. So, but later on, 
okay, after um, some time later on in the movie, Josie Wales, uh, the Indian chief Dan George, yes, and then the young Indian woman that he saves from being raped by the two scumbags at the uh, trading post, Correct. they all go into town. They got to get supplies. They got to get some supplies. Yes. And the uh, the pitch man, salesman, yeah, yeah. is there in town and he's doing his spiel. Uh-huh. He's standing on his soapbox. He's got like a dozen people in front of him. Hit me with the clip, baby. This is because this is what he says. This is how he yes, friend. Yes, this is a positive remedy for weariness, frigidity of the bowels, and uh, uh, and uh, say you're an Indian, aren't you? <laughs> uh, you speak any English? Well, sir, this is the very best thing for those who can't handle their liquor. <laughs> What's in it? I, I, I don't know. Various things. I'm only the salesman. You drink it. What's that? You drink it. Well, <laughs> what can you expect from a non-believer? And that's, <laughs> there you go. That, that is absolutely... That's Donald Trump there you go. right there. Yeah. I don't know what's in it. I don't know I'm what's just in a it. salesman. You know, yeah, various things. Right, various and it's things. good for everything. That's, it's good for yeah. everything. It doesn't matter what you got. It's good for everything. Yeah. And one guy comes up and goes, great. What, what, if it's so what, good, what you, you What's in it? it? Yeah. You drink it. Nice. Yeah, I call them like, on it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I I thought of that one. I was like, ah, there he is. That's Donald Trump right there. That that freaking huckster. And, mm-hmm. of course, we all know what happens to him. Because after he goes, it's Josie Wells. And he's trying to run away. He falls in his white suit into mm-hmm. that big pile oh, of horse shit. shit. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> which is, trust me, what's going to happen to our our boy Trump? Okay, he is uh, Donald Trump is a cross between Alex from A Clockwork Orange and Roy Cohn. Okay, <laughs> the lawyer Roy Cohn, in case uh, in case you've forgotten, is, was the uh, he was a lawyer uh, for McCarthy during the McCarthy era, mm. and McCarthy actually picked him to uh, prosecute uh, the um, the uh, Rosenbergs mm. their trial for you know treason against the state and, and all that stuff. And he did that, and he went on to do a lot more stuff for um, for McCarthy. And Alex, in the movie A Clockwork, a Clockwork Orange, here's another one. If you mm-hmm. haven't seen A Clockwork Orange, to me, that's yeah. like telling me you haven't seen The Godfather. Right. Explain that right. to me. It, How it is, is it possible? Speaking that, of masterpieces. Right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And this one's actually pretty... The, the, there's a the thing about this, because Alex is a... Uh, a charismatic and intelligent, yet evil and twisted young man. He appears to be quite charming on the surface level, but he gets a kick out of committing acts of violence. In addition to which, this is the other thing I wrote down. It's like, throughout the entire movie, he he refers to himself as mm. your humble narrator. Right. Your humble, humble narrator. Your humble narrator. narrator. Right. Okay. And you think about, you know, the, the basic plot of the movie, but in all this stuff, it's like, you know, he basically is the leader of the Droogs, okay? And um, one of them, uh, Dim, okay? And for yes. the purposes of this analogy, the part of Dim will be played by Roger Ailes, <laughs> okay? But Dim, Dim has an idea that he yes. thinks they should do. He's, he, he's got an idea for, for a little bit of the ultraviolence, right. okay? And right. Alex takes this as a threat as a challenge to his authority. Yes. And so the next yes, scene... The, the big, big money. Yeah, and so the next scene mm. is they're walking down and and Alex basically takes the billy club and with every bit of force he has, 
like on the spur of the moment, whacks him right in the gonads mm-hmm. and then throws him into, you know, the, I believe, the reservoir right next to them. Yeah. And there's that one perfect image where the dim is looking up out of the water and Alex is standing there like right over him with a look of literally pure evil and he's mm-hmm. pulled out the knife. He's got the knife yeah. behind his back. So what happens? Alex, of course, being the benevolent leader in the Machiavellian tradition, okay, mm-hmm. later on after that happens, he's like, so they're back at the crow of milk by so everything's right, hi, hi, bro, uh-huh. ho. And he goes, so tell me about this idea. Right. Okay, yeah. you know what? I, let's let's you know what you're right. I I need to listen to you guys more. And so they agree to do it. Yeah. Of course, what happens? They betray him. Sure. Okay. As he's coming out the door, mm-hmm. Dim hits him over the head with a uh, a bottle. bottle of milk. Yeah. Okay. Now he's caught, mm-hmm. thrown in prison. Okay. And while he's in prison, he does what? Okay. Oh. He pretends to be, be religious. Sure. And I think the best thing about it is the, during the narration, he's, t- you know, he's, he's walking around carrying the Bible. He goes, I especially love the parts of the violence and sex. And, and oh, yeah. he's got the images in his head of these guys like oh, chopping up people's heads and fucking chicks all yes. over the place. The handmaidens. Right. Yeah. And so he fools everybody into believing that he's coming around and then he convinces them that he should be part of this new experiment right. in um, behavior modification. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Okay. And this is important because the guy who wrote the book, Anthony Burgess, mm-hmm. okay, was very, very, very anti-Skinner. Um, he was an anti-Skinnerian. He was against mm-hmm. B.F. Skinner's mm-hmm. um, proposed hypotheses and methodologies. And so he called – he literally called him like the most – you know, the most dangerous – he said that the book that he wrote was like the most dangerous book ever written. That's, <laughs> Burgess, that's what Burgess called uh, Skinner's book. And what I liked about this is that – they do – they modify his behavior, but they don't change his mind. They simply make it so that his physical reaction – Right. Okay. His nausea. But at the – and then when he starts running into people, who does he run into? He runs into Dim, yeah. who is still the exact same sociopathic, psychopathic, violent, evil person, except now he's a cop. Mm-hmm. He's a cop. He has changed sides. And the thing at the end of the movie is that last line – Indeed, my brothers, I was cured. Yeah. You know, and it's got that, he's got that vision in his head of like him fucking some chick in the snow while mm. everybody watches him get, you know, all that kind of stuff. Skinner, you know, I started going, when I read this, I started going, like reading about stuff about sociopathy mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And um, there's an article from Psychology Today, which I only read half of because once, you know, if you've ever read anything from Psychology Today, about halfway through it, you really just want to blow your brains out. There's, I don't care what the article's on. Mm-hmm. There's a point at which they just get into it's just like, ah. But um, it's a thing. So how to spot a sociopath? 16 key behavioral characteristics that define sociopaths, psychopaths, and others with uh, antisocial disorders. That's, by the way – they're not called sociopaths anymore. That there's, the category is now antisocial disorders. Okay. Like, you're not a psycho. You're a man with an antisocial disorder. I see. In that regard, I, you know, we have become politi- too politically correct. He's a fucking psycho. I just call him mm-hmm. fucking psycho what he is. He's got an antisocial disorder. I get you a fucking antisocial disorder. And this was written – this guy came up with 16 traits of a sociopath. It's a guy named uh, Hervey Cleckley, and he did a series of clinical profiles, and he published them in a book called The Mask of Sanity. In uh, 1941. And some of them are superficial charm and good intelligence. Absence of delusions and signs of irrational thinking. He's not hearing voices in his head or any of that crap. Absence of nervousness and neurotic manifestations. Unreliability. 
untruthfulness and insincerity, a lack of remorse and shame, um, inadequately motivated antisocial behavior, poor judgment and failure to learn from experience, or a bunch of others, pathological egocentricity and an incapacity for love. There's a bunch of other stuff in here, but all I could do, failure to follow, there's a, you know, suicide attempt, threats rarely carried out, you know, even though, pfft, go ahead, off yourself, pal. So I started going over that. And I was like, wow, Donald Trump's a sociopath. And the sure. thing was, I didn't get to the end of the article, so I don't know how many of those traits need to be present in order to actually have the label put on him, but he's well on his way. God bless him. He's he's making the kind of effort. He's giving 110 percent to being labeled, you know, to to sociopathy. Okay, here's one. This is the one I I think I got. Okay, Donald Trump is Griselda Blanco. (laughs) Okay, he's basically the drug kingpin that the cartels can't control anymore. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And for the purposes of this analogy, the uh, part of Fabio Ochoa. Mm-hmm. Will also be played by Roger Ailes. Thank you very much. Also playing you know, Fabio Ochoa, the head of the Medellin cartel, like and he's, he's a good character. Yeah, and I wrote uh, I wrote down you know the bullet points of this. You know, she was she was basically born in Cali. She was a whore. Then she moved to New York City, got busted in a really big cocaine case, and then she 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 made bail and split. So she became a fugitive in like seventy eight mm-hmm. and came to Miami, where she started up you know the cocaine cowboys, basically who are. Um, responsible for, you know, up to 200 murders at her behest. And then when time was, uh, when they were closing in on her, she split to L.A. She moved mm-hmm. to L.A. And um, what she did was she ordered like 200 kilos from the Ochoas. And mm-hmm. the niece of Fabio Ochoa delivered it to her. And she said, fuck it, I don't want to pay and killed her. Now, you can't do that to the Ochoas. You know, you're, 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 who they, you're who you are. And mm-hmm. they are who they are. And when they called up and asked, you know, where's our money? Oh, by the way, where's our niece? Okay, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I paid her and then she split. And, of course, they found her where? On the side of a highway, dead. Okay, and eventually she was arrested. They found her when they arrested her. She was caught in bed reading the Bible. You know, perfection. She was then thrown in prison. She was not convicted of murder or um, murder for hire. Okay. Okay. And the reason she wasn't convicted of that is because that case was going to be made by her number one hitman, uh, Rivi Ayala. Okay. Unfortunately, Rivi, while in jail, okay, got involved in a scandal um, where he was uh, having phone sex with the secretaries in the DA's office. So they were so embarrassed, they dropped the case. Still, she got thrown in jail for many, many years. She got out of like 2001, 2002, something like that. Okay. By the way, during all this time, she had four sons. Three of them were murdered. Okay. For any, you know, as I'm sure you can assume, that's that's how they get their point across to mm-hmm. you. Okay. The day she got out of jail, she was immediately extradited back to Columbia, where she lived for another mm-hmm. eight, nine years, no problem, until she uh, was um, in downtown Cali, mm-hmm. coming out of a butcher shop, you know, some butcher store. And middle of the day, crowded street, two guys pulled up on a motorcycle and basically gunned her down. And mm-hmm. I mean, aired her out. Aired her out. Now, when I first started putting this analogy together, I started, you know, I was jotting down the bullet points of uh, Griselda Blanco's life. And my thought was I was going to try and make her rise and fall analogous 
to Trump's rise and my de- my desire for his fall. And, you know, I kind of, you know, pushed that a little aside. And the thing was, I was, I'm not saying I want two guys on a Honda to air Donald out in front of Trump Tower, although the irony of that happening, considering the building's Fifth Avenue location and what he said he could get away with on Fifth Avenue, don't yeah, elude yeah. me. Okay. But I do believe that sooner or later, he'll be politically assassinated. And for now, all I can do is pray, you know, for a sudden wave of sanity to wash over our nation before Trump gets a chance to gun it down, chop it up, stuff it in a box with a bow on top, and toss it from a moving car onto the side of the Palmetto Parkway. So that was my, uh, that was my Griselda Blanco analogy. Um, what else? I, I wrote down here, I said, I thought it would be a lot of fun. I've, I've had a lot of fun chuckling about what um, Celebrity Deathmatch would do. You know, the MTV show? That oh, was yeah. How, how would they be handling it? I just, I just think that would be hilarious. I also wrote down that, you know, you always keep saying, we're P- we're just, the nation's becoming too PC. We're too PC. We're too politically correct. You know what, Don? Okay, I think you're confusing political correctness with basic civility. Mm-hmm. Okay? Those are two different things. Okay? Being civil... He's good. He said, you know, you guys said a lot of fucking crazy shit. Okay. <laughs> Here's a classic. On one of the morning talk shows, um, he was asked whether he had a foreign policy team. Trump gave a rambling response saying, and I quote, this is a quote, because I mm-hmm. watched, I was like, there's no way he could have possibly said this. Mm-hmm. And I went back and watched it. And yes, indeed, this is what he said. Yes, there is a team. There's not a team. I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to be forming a team. I have met with far more than three people. Now, don't try and make sense of it. Don't. Your head will explode. So he was given another shot. Like a, yeah. like the next week, uh, it was uh, Mika Brzezinski from uh, Morning Joe asked him the same question, okay? Basically saying, you know, his foreign policy, what, um, she asked him again about his foreign policy team and strategy and more specifically, who he consults with uh, consistently. I'm speaking with myself, number one, because I have a very good brain and I've said a lot of things. <laughs> I know what I'm doing and I listen to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people. And at the appropriate time, I'll tell you who those people are. But my primary consultant is myself. And I have, you know, a good instinct for this stuff. And you know what my I, first thought from that was? Here's my first thought from yeah. that. Was the uh, the quote from Abraham Lincoln. Okay, he who defends himself is a fool for a client. Right. That was kind of what popped into my head. Whenever that's the gobbledygook, and you know, I was saying to you, it's, it's, you know, I was saying earlier, it's like, what what do you like about him other than he's a bigot? Because you can't point to any other positive thing. You can't make a positive case for him. There isn't one other you, than he's a bigot. You read this too. thing; it reminds me of the Steve <laughs> Allen routines he would yeah. do, oh, where he would literally the double, read the double talk and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Steve Allen once read, you know, he'd read the lyrics to, like, rock songs, but he would simply read them with, like, you know, the piano right, player yeah, in the yeah, background. Yeah. And the one that I remember was the Gene Vincent uh, song he did, Gene Vincent's Trade Cuts, A Bebopalula, uh, right. uh, She's My Baby. A Bebopalula, I don't mean maybe. She's mm-hmm. my, Lula, She's My Baby Now, My Baby Now, My Baby Now. You know, and he would do yeah. that, and you'd hear it like that. The same thing with Trump. When you actually sit down and and read it, or you know, it, it makes no sense. So some of the other ones that I I pushed to the side were uh, I was trying to come up with a with a, a Donnie Brasco thing based on the word fugazi. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
So with the analogy was a lefty was going to be uh, lefty. By the way, in this one, lefty was going to be the part of lefty was going to be played by Roger Ailes. Um, and, you know, okay, I was I had Roger Ailes playing playing he's many like, parts in this. He's a good character. Actor. Yeah, it was so you know, it was all, I had a whole thing done on that. Um, I was going to try and do one where he was Doctor Zeus from Planet of the Apes. Okay, constantly convincing those around him that the past. Doesn't exist. Right. Okay. Um, okay, I got one for you. This one, you're going to like this one. You ready? Here we go. Here we yeah. go. <clears throat> Donald Trump is the football team from the movie Bring It On. Okay. These guys can't win a game. They, they don't win yeah. a single game. But their cheerleading squad is the best in the nation. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. And the routine that made them the best in the nation, they stole from an inner mm-hmm. city Cheerleading right. squad. So basically, they're you know these guys are cheering for a loser. So that was another analogy, and he said a lot of really stupid things. But I'll tell you, of all the things he said, that should frighten his his supporters more than anything else. Okay, he was doing one of his rallies, mm-hmm. and somebody started up started protesting. I kind of get him out of here, Bubby. You know, and he said whatever he said. I. You know, back in the day, I used to punch him in the face. You know, he should be punched in the face. This, that, whatever he said, he said. And then he said this, okay, and I quote, there used to be consequences for protesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hang on for a minute. I don't want you to say anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, there used to be consequences for protesting. I just want you to think about that sure. for a second. First things first, okay? You know what one of the consequences of protesting is? The United States of America, you lousy piece of shit motherfucker. Right. How do you think we came into existence, dickhead? Yeah. But that's not what he's thinking about. I have a feeling that, like like Alex, in A Clockwork Orange, in his head, he's got the images of, like, the water cannons going at the the black guys. No, he's thinking about Kent State. He sees that picture, that picture that horrifies the rest of us. He sees that. He puts that on the walls like, the the good old days. The good old days. Yeah. That's his view of how to he's handle... Not, he's not horrified. He's like, that's what you get, the loudmouth hippie. The minute somebody says you don't have the right to protest, that's the downfall yeah. of America because America is based on that. Well, he wants to he wants to sign an executive order lifting all the uh, libel protect, you know, like the libel laws so that he can sue reporters oh, that report negative He himself is, a li- is, overly, right. is an overly litigious nation. No, no kidding. <laughs> so, you know, and at first I thought that the only way to truly enable Trump supporters to uh, have an awakening was for him to actually get elected president. I figured that's going to be the only way no. they're going to – okay, but I concluded no. – Okay, it very quickly occurred to me that what they would do is probably go in quest of someone with an even more abrasive personality and even less experience. Like he just wasn't an asshole enough. We need an even bigger asshole with even less experience, okay, because he's now too much of an insider, okay? <laughs> and, you know – Unfortunately, if uh, if Trump is a Republican nominee, then it doesn't matter who wins in November, okay? Because the next forty eight years are going to be a no holds barred cage match, so viscerally vitriolic that even Captain Lou Albano would feel a little queasy. Uh, if Trump wins, the whole world is going to spend every day preparing to duck and cover. If Trump's the nominee and loses, then it's back to the starting blocks for these guys and his supporters. Except now, this time they're they're going to be able to start the race with a nice tailwind. Okay, he's going to have millions of already hysterical right-wing lunatics, okay, with a new burst of xenophobic adrenaline. I'm convinced that Trump doesn't actually want to be president. He just wants to prove that he can be president whenever the hell he feels like it. And for him, 
the battle of the campaign is what gets him, you know, sporting, or in his case, sporting a splinter, I guess would be the most appropriate term. Once his ego has been fed like the plant in Little Shop of Horrors, okay, who wants to be saddled with the hassle of actually doing the fucking job? I mean, this is a guy who, if he got elected, okay, would probably resign a month after taking the oath of office once he realized that those who voted for him actually expected him to do what he said he was capable of doing. And then after he quit, okay, okay, and said that he's not going to fulfill his term, he would then start going off and telling everybody that had he, had he actually fulfilled his term, he would have been the best president ever. Yeah. Believe me. Believe me. Believe me. Believe me. Believe right. me. Believe but me. Those, uh, those liberals, they wouldn't let me. Those yeah, people. Trump's fantasy outcome is to be the Republican nominee and then lose the election to Hillary Clinton in a close election, which would enable mm-hmm. him and his followers to cry foul over something mm-hmm. and then continue on their hate-filled journey, their, their fearless leader out in front. Yeah, they're, they're a revolution there. Yeah. yeah, right. You know, but that's the whole thing. I mean, he's one of them, as he tweets from Mar-a-Lago. Mar-a-Lago. I mean, he's one of them. Um, the You know, I saw this uh, post where the Freedom Riders, these bikers, yeah. are going to be doing runs to, to his uh, various rallies because they don't want him to be denied his First Amendment right to speak. Okay, mm-hmm. first things first, okay, he's not the only one with a fucking First Amendment right, you cocksuckers. Yeah, he is. Come on. No. <laughs> we all have First right. Amendment rights. We all have them. Okay, we all have them. Let's just remind ourselves of that. But if it's the bikers that are coming up, I wrote to this guy. I said, you know what? As long as you're going to treat him like a rock star, like Mick Jagger, mm-hmm. why not try and reenact Altamont? Yeah. Because I promise you, I promise you, you know, I learned very early on the biker code. Give respect, get respect. Mm-hmm. Which is why I learned very early on not to shoot my mouth off, okay, to these guys, you know, when I'm hanging around with them, many of whom are good friends of mine. Mm-hmm. All right? You know, I have a tendency to shoot my mouth off and not be able to back it up with toughness because right. I'm not a tough guy. Mm-hmm. And these guys actually are tough guys. You know, as I right. told, you know, the guys I know, as I told, I was telling my mom years ago, I said, let me tell you something about these guys. I don't think I've ever seen them start a fight, but I have seen them finish a few. Mm-hmm. You know, they're my kind of people and I've learned that thing. But somebody, you know, isn't going to know that. Right. And they're going to say something and Somebody's going to feel disrespected, and now yeah. we're off to the races. Now some Cal Berkeley student's getting stabbed, and we have to slow down the you know the tape mm-hmm. to find out which one of these guys did it. It is a nightmare on the horizon doing this kind of thing, and that's exactly the way Donald Trump wants it. He absolutely wants it. He basically is covertly appealing to the lowest common denominator, okay? These are the people who think, okay, shit, if nigger can do it, Donald Trump uh, sure he, shit he's, can. He's not covertly uh, appealing. That's not covert at all It to is. Me. It's, it's a subliminal I, suggestion I, I, to I these people. A, it's out a, in the open. It's dog whistle done on a covert level because he doesn't want anybody else to specifically point I, to, you know. He's shouting out loud. It's it, it's like, like shock jock politics. He's just shouting it out loud. Yeah, and, yeah he is. He's, he's a shock jock. Yeah, he's a shock jock. It's exactly mm-hmm. all he is. All right, that's it. You got any? You want to add something to this? You got no, no. I think you summed it up nice. I thought the one you'd like was the outlaw Josie Wells one because that basically that's what he is. He's the snake oil salesman, and at the end of it, he says the at the end of it, he says 
basically what Trump supporters say. Well, yeah. what do you expect I got, from a non-believer? What, right. What just believe. From, just believe. Just drink it. Right. It's Shut not, up and drink it. It's religion. Why are you asking it's religion. Me? Yeah. You should, you should have faith in me. It's a faith-based system, right? Even though there's no proof. That it's that, a, that, that it's faith a cult has been of personality. Earned. It's a faith-based system. He has said nothing of substance other than the, the bigotry stuff. That's the only, the wall. Everything that goes back to some bigoted issue. That's the only thing that he has taken a stand on, and that's a, that's good enough. That's yeah. good enough for him. I mean, the and rest it, of the world right now is looking at us and going, "God, what is going?" But the, you know, what the, they do put they. I realize there's I realize there's lead in the water. You you put yeah. you put like 150 tabs of orange they've, blotter. They've in there been as shaking well? their heads for years. At Seriously, us. and now this here they're lacing our water with acid in certain states. Yeah, I just don't get it. Well, you know what? Enough. And here on. we still have to pay retail. Look of at course. <laughs> I know about that time to keep time for me to take care of the people who take care of me. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah, boy. Precision Auto Works. Brand new location. Okay? Yeah. It is still in Pompano Beach. Still, phone number has remained the same. 954-247-9362. Dave, Tracy, the entire SAE certified crew. Bumper to bumper. Just over there. Got my fluids topped off. Flat topping off of the oldie fluids. I, you know, have to do it. Got to do it. Got to go in there. Well, preventive maintenance. This is what he taught me. He said, just bring the freaking car in. Okay. When it gets to about 2,000 miles, do me a favor. Drive by. It's going to take me three minutes to pop the hood and make sure everything's right. And then you're on your way. You got it, buddy. You got it. And it's a bit further away from me. But as I've stated before, as long as he's within about a two-hour drive and my mm-hmm. car is capable of making it to where it is, okay, he's who I'm going to. Absolutely the place where people who love their cars take their cars. You know what that means? Time for the drive groove of the day. I don't know how I've gotten around to some of this stuff, but we're getting around to it today, baby. Get your motor running. It's Stevie Ray Vaughan on the drive groove on SoFloRadio.com. <laughs>
got me a regular Ben Hur down here. Doing 95 minimum. You got a set of wheels, you just won't quit, boy. If there's yours, that is, huh? Uh, spin around, boy. Ten fingers on the fender. Legs apart. I'm sure this ain't exactly your debut with this sort of thing. You picked the wrong Paris to haul ass through, boy. Nobody cuts and runs on Chef G.W. Pepper. And it's him speaking uh, by the by.
got him locked up in the shed, wondering if you'd like to come over and shoot it for her. You may have heard about the gangster love and the space cowboy, but I'm gonna whip a cat on you right now. Just have more trouble. Trials and tribulations. One, two, three, hey! Yeah! It's alright. Look at here. I was walking down the main track. One night, I met a fine chick. She was built just right. She stopped to win. I flashed my road. She could have all of my gold She turned around And with 
a frown. She said, this ain't no circus and I don't need a clown. Your cash ain't nothing but trash. Your cash ain't nothing but trash. Your cash ain't nothing but trash. And there ain't no needing your hanging around. But just to make a hit with that chick, I tried to get a Cadillac right quick. There, that is your cash. Ain't nothing but trash. That actually, I believe, rounds out uh, side one of the Joker, one of my all-time favorite album sides. I've played the other three songs, which are uh, Shababa Dumai, um what are the other ones on there? Uh, Mary Lou. And in any event, that's it. I've now finally finished that one off. Um, that song actually. Uh, was not written by Steve uh, Steve Miller. That is a song written by a guy named um, well, the guy's got like a bazillion names, but the the name he wrote that under was uh, Chuck Cal- or Charles E. Calhoun, and um, his real name was actually here Jesse Stone. And this is a guy. Um, if you want to know who invented rock and roll, if you say Charles E. Calhoun, you're not necessarily wrong. Um, there, you know, you, there's always these people who are going to talk to you about, you know. Uh, Little Richard, Elvis Presley, they'll, they'll name it. and you know, guess what? Okay, I you know I won't argue against that. I have a different opinion, but I'm not going to say you're wrong on it. This guy, "Rock Around the Clock" by um, Bill Haley in the comments, mm-hmm. is kind of acknowledged as like that first big rock song. That was yeah. it. Yeah. Well, guess what? Uh, the the before, song we refer to as rock and roll, right? Before 
they recorded that. Their first big hit was with a song called Shake, Rattle, and Roll. And it was written mm-hmm. by, you guessed it, Charles E. Calhoun. All right. So there you go. A little bit of history right there. Uh, a whole bunch of J.W. Pepper in there, baby. You know? We got to show the, the one I like the most is, um, you know, as soon as you're finished with that offending vehicle, you know, so-and-so <laughs> dog's phone with the mouth. Wondered if you'd like to come on over and shoot it for her. <laughs> J.W. Pepper, of course, all three of those spots are uh, from Live and Let Die. One of my favorite characters in movies. Let me see. Before that, we had the Vice Barons, Fuzzy and Wild. That is uh, from Vice Barons 1. Very interesting stuff. Before that, one of my favorites, I was asked uh, 12 albums, you know, name the 12 albums, Mm -hmm. but one from each thing. This album made my 12 albums that have been with me my entire life. Soundtrack from Deliverance. That was um, Maggie's song, Little Maggie, by uh, Weisberg and Mandel, who do the entire soundtrack. Um, to uh, to deliverance. Tim Tim Weisberg is one of the acknowledged phenomenal banjo players, and when it comes to the the classic stuff, shucking the corn, all of these songs. Okay, he's mm. the guy. He's the man. You know, he's one of these guys like Roy Clark, like a uh, guy Flatt and Scruggs. You know, those guys. right. That's who he is. It's very very straight up. For that, I'm getting my winger swirl on. Yeah, you heard me right. Get my wingers for on this Sunday. I am going to be going to uh, the Rock Fest at Markham Park, and it's every '80s hair band ever, ever. Ace Freely. I don't. I don't even know who the lineup is. But if they're an if they're an '80s, you know, if they had big hair and spandex and screaming guitars, they're going to be at Markham Park this coming Sunday. Well, fortunately for me, okay, uh, in winger is one of my all time. Favorite drummers, Rod Morgenstein, who was the drummer for the Dixie Drags. He then went on, he was he was with Winger and still tours with them whenever, you know, they go out on tour and, you know, they do these, they basically, you know, get pulled off to go play someplace where people have been dying to see them. And remarkable to me, these guys, all these bands, you know who's going to be there that I'm, that I'm really going to try and meet? Somebody I talked about last week, one of the greatest rock and roll singers in the history of rock and roll, Paul Rogers, is going to be at this thing. And I was telling my brother, I said, you know, I really want to go. So he's hooking me up with mm-hmm. tickets, backstage passes. So Great. I'm bringing my friend Joe Zepp with me because he's drumming fanatic as well. So we're going to be heading off to that one. He's bringing his daughter. So I already – I had to call my brother back and go, I need another pass. Well, I need half a pass because she's only 13. Right. <laughs> he's like, all right, I'm going to be with him in San Francisco. I'll you know, talking about – and kicking off the set, an auteur. An auteur. I've said it before. I'll say it again. He is an auteur musician. When you hear Stevie Ray Vaughan, even if you've never heard the song that he's playing, you know it's him because nobody else sounds like him. End of discussion, period. Forget the singing. I'm just talking about the right. guitar itself. Okay? He is Jocko. He is John Schofield. Those people are auteur musicians. So, what else? Oh, the, I wrote this thing down. You know, I was going through some stuff just so, uh, just like this. You know, I remember. When bands would go on tour, it was the, you know, the so-and-so tour, 2000, whatever. But now they have to name the tours. They're all called something now. The one mm. that caught my eye, the Hepatitis Bathtub Tour with no FX. <laughs> Far out, motherfuckers. The Hepatitis Bathtub Tour. There's something I definitely want to make sure I don't miss. I just want to go there so I can get a T-shirt with the words Hepatitis Bathtub Tour on it. 
I, see, I don't know. There's a bunch of them that were out there. I, had, I have a list somewhere. I'm going to bring that in at some point. Some of them are just truly ridiculous. They're just, can't you just, you know, this is who we are. We're going on tour. No, 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 no. We have to give it a signature. It's got to have mm-hmm. a signature to it. It's own signature. Father, Padre, Gramps Master Flash, the man in effect. Ready? The, the might most reverend Los Georges. We got it done today, baby. Reverend. Yes, we did. We got it done. Long one. I am, I am, it is a long show, but I'll tell you something. Worth it. Okay? To, your, to get the Trump thing your, right off. Got, Trump, got it off your chest, all the Trump stuff. Oh, they right on. Just tore it off like a bandage. Right off. You know, so we got that out of the way. I think it's a good thing. You know, because otherwise, you know, every show you could talk about whatever, what fucked up thing he did within the previous two weeks. Yeah. I just don't have it in me. I really don't. I just, I can't. There's only so much, you know, self-flagellation of a mental order that I can do. I just don't have it in me. Right. And I don't think my listeners do either. I mean, after a while, they're like, God, he's talking about Trump again. Nope. I got it all out of the way. All out of the way. We're coming back next week, uh, two weeks two. from now. We're going to be doing uh, stuff on cartel land. Cartel yeah. land. Must this watch. needs to be seen. It is a documentary. It is out now. You can get it wherever you get you download your documentaries from mm-hmm. a must see important stuff very important stuff i've already written half the next show i already wrote all this stuff for it mm-hmm. and then i went off on this trump whatever i would call it i don't know quest trudge i was trudging the road of happy destiny there you go trump, yeah. trump tirade trump tirade and even as always i am super duper grateful Okay, an attitude of gratitude is what it centers around for myself. Analyst, oh, what's the last song here? What's the last song? Primus. Primus. You know, last week, the last song was Christy Moore doing Shine On You Crazy Diamond. And I thought to myself, hey, one cover of a uh, Pink Floyd song, you know, I'll do one again. Why? Because this happens to me. I was listening to some Primus, and this came in. These guys have a thing. You know, Les Claypool has, has got to have a thing for Pink Floyd. They've got um, an album or a CD called, it's like Les Claypool's something of dog society or whatever. And they literally do an entire, all the entire Pink Floyd Animals album. Mm-hmm. The whole thing. They do the entire Animals album live. And it's pretty good. It, I swear to God, it's worth listening to. This is the, the Primus version of Pink Floyd's song, Have a Cigar. And it, it's good. All right. It's cool. It's the way I like my Pink Floyd. <laughs> Played by Primus. Done by somebody else, baby. For myself, Graham Smith, Flash Lost Georges, as always, baby. It is Aloha. Peace. Good night, Mom.
Radio.com.